This is the word of the Lord. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back that he may re- return to the place to which you've assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he would... Uh, he become an adversary to us. How could this fellow reconcile, reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I've found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. And it is our desire as we, as we gather here in worship to live our lives under the rule of your holy word. And so, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come now and direct us, the same spirit who first uh, inspired the writing of these words, that he would now come and, and teach us, and that through these words you would lead us both to trust in the grace of Jesus and to obey him and to follow him wherever he calls us. So Lord, we open our minds and our hearts to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been reading through uh, the final chapters of the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, and I, I want to just give a, a brief summary of what's happening in the, this section of 1 Samuel and really how it relates to the Bible as a whole. And basically what we're reading about is David, who's the true king of Israel, is in exile among the Philistines. And the theme of exile, exile is when you're kicked out of your land and you're forced to go live as a foreigner in another land. 
And the theme of exile is one of the most important themes in the whole Bible. And you see it all over the place. You know, the Bible begins with Adam and Eve. They're in the land, the Garden of Eden, and they're expelled from the Garden of Eden. And so they become outsiders and they're kind of sent into exile. And then Abraham is in the land of Canaan and there's a famine there. And so he gets, uh, he has to go down to Egypt and he's, he's in exile in Egypt. And then Abraham's grandson, Jacob, Jacob gets in a fight with his brother Esau and he becomes a slave for 20 years in uh, under his uncle Laban, so he's in exile, and then Joseph gets sold into slavery, and he goes to Egypt. He's in a dungeon in Egypt for like 12 years, and so he's also in exile, and then, and then one of the major stories of the Old Testament was the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into exile by the Assyrians in the, in the 8th century BC, and then the southern kingdom of Israel was taken into exile uh, by the Babylonians in the, in the 6th century BC. Over and over again, The storyline of the Bible is that God's people are taken into a foreign land and they're transformed and then they return home. That's the repeated storyline. And uh, and so in this section of 1 Samuel, David has his own exile. He's forced out of Israel by the former king Saul and he's forced to live for years among the Philistines, who are the enemies of God's people. They're violent, and they're wicked, and they worship false gods. And so I think this story has some interesting insights about how does David conduct himself among the Philistines while he's in exile. And this is a relevant topic to us because the Bible says not only that David was in exile, but it says that actually all of us as Christians, we live our lives as exiles. We're in like a foreign land. We're like strangers in a foreign land. This is how it says in uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and 12 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. That's kind of like your conduct among the Philistines. Honorable, so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are living life among the Philistines. And I'll tell you, that's especially true in a place like Bellingham. I love Bellingham. I love living here. I love the people here. I love not just people in our church and that are fellow Christians. There are many people that are not Christians that I love here. But also, the, the culture that we're immersed in is largely people who don't see the world the way we do and as Christians. And many people are very hostile to the way Christians view life and view the world and view, view society. And so we are like David living in the land of Philistines in exile. And so how are we supposed to live in exile? Well, I think this passage has a number of helpful insights. And so I want to point out four kind of charges this uh, passage gives to us from 1 Samuel 27. And I'll tell you what they are. This is what they are, Okay. Four charges. First, fight alongside co-belligerents. Expect rejection from the world. Remember our true loyalty to God's kingdom. And trust the purposes of the Lord. Okay, four kind of commands, charges that this gives us to fight alongside co-belligerents. I'll explain what that means. Expect rejection from the world. Remember our true loyalty to God's kingdom and trust the purposes of the Lord. So these four insights for us about how do we live our life among 
the Philistines. And I think insightful passage for us this morning. So first of four, this is it. The first that we should fight alongside co-belligerents. We should fight alongside co-belligerents. I'll explain what I mean by that. Now the reason I say fight is because the setting of this story is really a conflict between Israel and the Philistines. The Philistines are the neighboring uh, peoples to the Israelites. You see there in verse 1 how it says, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. Now, these two cultures, for a large portion of the Old Testament, you know, the Israelites and the Philistines were at war with each other. There was constant conflict that was happening, really for centuries. And the image of warfare is, is not just the kind of armed warfare that happens in the Old Testament between the Israelites and the neighboring nations, but the Apostle Paul says that we too as Christians are a part of a warfare. Uh, Ephesians 6, 11 and following puts it this way. It says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. And really, you find in other places that Paul said that one of the main things he was at war about was the ideas that were directing the society around him. You know, we say, he says we take every thought captive to Christ. And so it's not just an armed combat, but it's a combat of ideas is part of the warfare that, that the church was a part of. And I know that, you know, differing people have, have kind of views on the culture war and how should we go about a culture war, but a culture is, is really just the summation of human life and its activities. And so there's no question that the Bible is describing a kind of cultural warfare that the church is a part of in society. But what's interesting in this passage from 1 Samuel is the character of Achish. And you see that Achish first mentioned there in verse 2 where it says, As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. Now, Achish, we learned about a couple chapters back, is the son of the king of Gath. Gath is basically the capital city of the Philistines, so he's the son of the king. And Achish has become an advocate for David. Achish likes David. And you see how he talks about David there in verse 3. It says, The commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. And so uh, David's become Achish's bodyguard, and they've developed a relationship, and David has become someone that Achish trusts. And I think the relationship between David and Achish is, is interesting because we're going to see later that David has not become a Philistine. And Achish has not become an Israelite. Uh, yet in some sense, Achish says, David's with me. I'm, I'm with, you know, I'm, I've become friends with him. And that's what I mean by we fight alongside co-belligerents. Achish is a co-belligerent for David. And uh, what do I mean by co-belligerent? Well, uh, Francis Schaeffer was a, uh, a pastor and kind of a cultural philosopher in the 20th century who wrote a lot about how Christians should live in kind of the modern, late modern world. 
And he talked about the difference between co-belligerents and allies. And, uh, and what Schaefer says is that allies are people you usually have a substantial amount of commonality with. And so he was said, for example, Christians should be working alongside other, other churches where, you know, you have a huge overlap of the kingdom of God and things that we believe about the Bible and we think about ethics. And so there's a lot of commonality to work together and say we are on the same team. Uh, but a co-belligerent is someone who can differ with you on countless important matters, but you can work together to fight one common enemy. And so allies are people that are on the same team, but co-belligerents are not. And David and Achish were not allies. And David's clear about that. We're going to talk about that later. But Achish was a co-belligerent. And so during our exile... We should expect that we're going to find co-belligerents among the, among the Philistines who have common cause with us and agree with some of the things that we think about the world. And so I'll, I'll give you an example of, of a co-belligerent. Um, I read a book recently by uh, Louise Perry. She's a, she's a British uh, journalist, not a Christian, and um, she's a, a post-liberal feminist and Side note, you might be like, what does post-liberal mean? Well, um, basically what it means is classic liberalism put, um, was a way of viewing society that put a lot of emphasis on the personal autonomy of the individual. It basically says, you know, individuals should be able to do whatever makes them happy as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. And so, you know, it's a big part of American society. You know, the Declaration of Independence says we have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so we kind of think that basically how humans work is every individual should just pursue what makes them uh, personally happy. And uh, of course, as Christians, we don't actually think that's how humans should live. I mean, we believe that humans thrive not as individuals, but in community, in like the community of a church or the community of a family. And actually, if you just do whatever you want to do, it's really going to be destructive to your life. So you could say, maybe as a church, we are sympathetic with a post-liberal, you know, we got to move on from, from the way of viewing society from a, a liberal view. Well, anyways, Louise Perry has written a powerful book called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. And it's about how the sexual revolution was sold to the West as basically a liberation of women so that, you know, they should just have whatever sex will make them personally happy. And that's the same with men. Everyone should just have sex with what, whoever, you know, in whatever way makes you happy as long as you don't hurt anyone else. And she says it's gone terribly for women. And it's gone terribly for children. Children and women have been hurt the most because of the sexual revolution. And so as we read that, we're going to find a lot of commonality with her. Louise Perry is like Akish, a co-belligerent among the Philistines. And actually, Louise Perry, she's befriended. Christians. I've heard that she's kind of exploring the faith and open to Christianity. And, you know, even in this passage, you see how Achish's relationship with David has begun to work on him. Look at verse 9 there, how it says, And Achish answered David, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as the angel of God. Achish is either a believer or he's very close to the kingdom. And so what happens is a person like Louise Perry, we're going to be like, you know, we could have a lot of commonality if we were trying to seek, you know, legislation to stop the mistreatment of women in the pornography industry, for example. It's something she's very against, something that we would be very against. We find a lot of commonality there. But we need to be clear 
that if she does not submit herself to the word of God, we're not actually on the same team. She is still a Philistine like Achish. She might be a Philistine who's close to the kingdom, but she's a co-belligerent and not yet an ally. And so the first piece of advice from this passage is fight alongside co-belligerents. These are people who may not be uh, believers, but who will be, well, I got some new lighting here. Did the lighting just change? Is something? <laughs> okay, I'm blue now. Okay. <laughs> All right, so, oh, let's, there we go. That's good. That's a good color. So guys, how's my face? Okay. All right. There we go. Okay, so these are people who are not believers, but who will be friendly to our understanding of the world, and we should welcome those relationships. But of course, when David was living among the Philistines, not everyone was friendly to him. And so that leads to our second point, is that we should expect rejection from the world. So we fight alongside co-belligerents, but also we should expect rejection from the world. And so here's David. He's intermingled with the, the Philistine army. And even though Achish is saying, David's a good guy, you know, we should trust him. The other Philistines do not feel that way about David. And you see what they say there in verse 4. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. And so these commanders know David is a warrior. And so here's David. He's in the Philistine army, and he's going to war with his own people, and he is their king. What's he going to do when he goes to war with his own people and he's their king? They think he's going to turn and start fighting against us. And you know what? They're right. That's exactly what he would do if he went into war with them. And he's not going to fight against the Israelites. He's their king. He's protecting the Israelites. And so these Philistines reject David because they know he is their enemy. In some ways, they're more clear-headed than Achish is. You know, Achish thinks, oh, you know, I can be a Philistine and be friends with the enemy. And the commanders of the army say, no, you can't. It doesn't work like that. And, you know, what this reminds me of is, um, is uh, Frederick Nietzsche was a, a philosopher in the 19th century. He's famous for saying God is dead. And uh, one of Nietzsche's main arguments was that he was criticizing all kinds of kind of modern people who had said, you know, we believe in science now. We don't believe in all the miracles of the Bible. But what we want to do is we want to hold on to the morality of the Bible. So we're going to, you know, we don't believe in the miracles, but we're still going to be Christian people who have Christian morals. And Nietzsche said, you can't do that. Uh, if, if Christianity is wrong, the whole thing's a plague. And we need to uproot the whole thing and throw it out and burn it. And we need a whole new vision of humanity being their own God. And, uh, and so Nietzsche is probably more godless than the Victorians who had denied the faith. But Nietzsche is clear-headed that there is a dividing line. He knows that Christ is at odds with the secular project. And we see that now in our culture. Of course, the effects of Nietzsche has taken a century to really work its way out. But now people don't say things like that. Like, oh yeah, we love the church because we want the morality of the church. They say, no, 
the church is backwards and oppressive. It's not a good place. It's an evil place. And we don't, we got to get rid of the morals, the, the, the miracles and the morals we've got to get rid of. When God's people are living among the Philistines, we should expect them to reject us and to treat us with hostility. And of course, the New Testament says this over and over again. I mean, Jesus says it repeatedly. Uh, just one example, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And the Apostle Paul says this, 2 Timothy 3.12. I mean, these are strong words. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. We should expect rejection and hostility from the world. And some of you know there's, uh, there's a big debate happening in Christian circles around the question of whether Christians in the Christian church should try to be winsome in the communication of the gospel to, you know, the broader world. And it's an important question for us as a church. We, we're a church that since the beginning we have wanted to give a winsome presentation of the gospel, you know, on Sunday mornings and the people who visit here. And if you mean by wisdom, or if you mean by uh, winsome, then it means we love people that God brings to us. Whether you're Christian or not a Christian, we're going to treat you with love. And we love the Bible, and we want to help you come to understand it so that you can love it as well and see its beauty and goodness. And we're going to answer any questions that you might have, and, and we're patient with you. If that's what we mean by being winsome, then, then of course we want to be a winsome church. But the critics of being winsome say that under, you know, the impulse to be winsome is a desire to get the respectability of the world around us, to be approved by the world around us. And I think that's a, a fair criticism that many evangelicals, you know, evangelicals will be like a Christian songs on the radio or a Christian movie, you know, is getting some attention and we're like, yeah, like the world's finally giving us the approval that we want. And so we think, you know, if we were just doing this right, the non-Christians would take us more seriously. No, they wouldn't. And it's hard to read about Jesus hanging on a cross and say, you know, if he'd just, you know, done it better, he wouldn't have got himself crucified on a cross. That's clearly not the message that the New Testament is giving. And, you know, I've been reading through the, the book of Acts in my own personal devotions, and the early church, they were there were riots, there was constant conflict with the Jews, with the Romans. I mean, it's all over the place. And you're like, this isn't a you know, peaceful experience that the church was experiencing. That's true all over the world today, that the church experiences all kinds of hostility. A huge part of being a disciple is the rejection of the world. Jesus says, a servant is not above his master. If they hated me, they will hate you. And so as a church, we have to accept that for a moment. We should expect rejection from neighbors that we love, family members that we love, co-workers that we love, cultural activists. We have to prepare ourselves for that. We will not just be welcomed in and liked by the Philistines. And many will know that our vision of the world is at odds with theirs, like these commanders knew. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how it was with David it's how it will be for us, too. 
So how do we do that? You know, on the one hand, we're trying to find co-belligerents. We want to, if there's a bridge that we can build with someone, we're open to that. We want to find commonality where we can. But uh, when you're expecting rejection from the world, how do we then walk in integrity? And so that leads to our, our third point, is that we have to remember our true loyalty to God's kingdom. We have to remember our true loyalty to God's kingdom. Now, I'll tell you, this is an interesting passage because Achish, he really loves David, and he's really pouring it on how honest David is. And you see there in verse 6 how it says, Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, which, by the way, another mention of Achish is talking about the Lord, and, you know, he's, David's rubbing off on him, and the faith, you know, is working on him. So it says, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me, it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. So he says, you are so honest, David. Now, David's response is interesting because you could take it a number of different ways. Look at what David says in verse 8 there. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now? that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king. So David says he wants to go fight against the enemies of the Lord, his king. Well, who's the Lord, his king? Achish assumes it's him. But actually, if you go back just two chapters to 1 Samuel 27, Achish was sending David out on these raids, and he thought David was going to fight against his own people, the Israelites, but actually David went to fight against the nations that Saul was supposed to be fighting against because the law of Moses had said that, against the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites. And so David's obeying the law of the Lord. And so in his life among the Philistines, he remembers that his ultimate loyalty is to God's kingdom. And being friends with Achish didn't make him forget who he was. And we absolutely have to do the same thing. And actually, I was just uh, talking with a gal a, a couple of weeks ago who has recently been getting more involved in, in local politics, and uh, she'd been working really closely with the, the Republican Party. And she saw the Republican Party as co-belligerents, right? They're not allies, but, like, had a lot of common cause with her as a, as a Christian. And, but in a recent election... Uh, the party had compromised on its uh, pro-life position and, and put forward a candidate who was not opposed to abortion. And, um, and this was mainly because they thought in Western Washington, you're not going to get votes if, if, you're not, if, if you're against abortion. And so if we're going to get this election, we've got we've to you know, um, compromise on that issue. And being against abortion, um, as well as being pro-women and pro-children, has been the unified position of Christians, not just like since Roe versus Wade, but for 2,000 years. I mean, this goes way back. This is all Christians from all denominations, all backgrounds, all over the world have consistently said this position. And so because of this, she has to remember her ultimate loyalty is to the kingdom of God. And she said, I can't align with the party any longer. And what she's saying is exactly this, that the Republican Party is like Achish for her, is a co-belligerent. There's some common, uh, uh, you know, commonality, but the Re Republican Party is still a part of the city of man. 
And, uh, and the world is the Philistines who reject God's ways of the kingdom. And we can't constantly be trying to get the world's approval, you know, or the world's votes because we want that approval. So like David, she knows her ultimate authority is to the Lord and to his kingdom, and she had to act accordingly. As we seek to serve God's kingdom in our life among the Philistines, I think these are all a part of the experience of it, is, is befriending co-belligerents, expecting the rejection of the world, and remembering our ultimate loyalty to God's kingdom. But I think under all of these, there is a certain posture of heart that kind of leads all of it. And that's really, that's our final point that we're looking at today, is that we must trust the purposes of the Lord. We must trust the purposes of the Lord. And you'll notice what happens at the end of this passage in verse 11 there. It says, So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of uh, the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So the Philistines are going off to war to fight against Israel. And David has to go back to this town where Achish had given him. And, and Dave, David may have been thinking up to this point, he's like, I did all this work to earn Achish's trust, and now I'm going to go into battle, and I'm going to be able to save my people and show myself to be the true king, and then I'm just being sent home. This is not what the plan is. Lord, what are you doing here? Well, what we're going to find out next week is that when David goes back home, it turns out that his town, Ziklag, had been attacked by the Amalekites, and they had kidnapped his family and the family of all his men. So it's a good thing he got sent back so he can save them. And it turns out he's going to fight the Amalekites, who King Saul was supposed to kill. And so he's going to prove himself to be the true king. And then he's going to be distant. Saul's going to die in the battle. And now he has an alibi that says, I have nothing to do with the killing of, of Saul, who's the king of Israel. So all of this works perfectly in the Lord's plan. God's purposes are so often not what we would have expected, and we have to trust them. It is our job to simply do what God has sent before us to do. We worship God faithfully. We obey the scriptures, even when they're hard. Even when we're not sure if we understand them, we obey them because we trust the Lord. And above all, we stay near the gospel. Because in the gospel, we learn that God himself came to live among the Philistines. God himself had his own exile. You know, Jesus left his father's house to come live in this foreign land. That's what Christmas is all about, what we're going to be celebrating in, these, in the weeks ahead. It's this great celebration of the Lord's own exile that he came to live in a foreign land. And he, came, he became a co-belligerent with us taking on flesh and becoming human in, in Jesus Christ. And Jesus was rejected by the world. Already when he was a little child, he was rejected. Herod came and tried to kill all the little babies in, in uh, Bethlehem. And so Mary and Joseph had to go into exile, and they took Jesus down to Egypt and lived among Egypt until they were safe. And then Jesus ultimately f- experienced the hostility and rejection of the world until he finally went to the cross. But Jesus was really the only one who perfectly stayed loyal to the kingdom of God. He trusted God's purposes. And the Lord brought him home to heaven where he has received the kingdom as his inheritance. And that's exactly what's going to happen with David. David will finish his exile and then he will enter Jerusalem and become the king. And so we should not be surprised 
to find ourselves living among the Philistines. It is the path of our Lord. And so the way that we live here is by trusting in him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that your word gives us as clarity to the, the purpose of our lives. And uh, Lord, we thank you so much that you've placed us here in, in Bellingham and, and Whatcom County. And uh, Lord, we love um, our home here. And yet our home here is still a foreign land as we await the coming of your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom and courage as we serve you and pray for the coming of your kingdom here in Bellingham and Whatcom County. And Lord, would, uh, would we have courage to speak the truth? Um, would we have no fear of the rejection of the world? Would we love the neighbors that you bring to us? And would we patiently show people the beauty of the gospel? And so, Lord, we are yours. Jesus, be our leader, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.